And welcome to the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. We are the Retro Talk Network where we talk about anything having to do with nostalgia, radio, television, movies. If you plugged it in, turned it on, listened to it, or watched it, we talk about it here. I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. And we're so pleased to welcome you to another Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside show. We hope that you'll enjoy the next 30 minutes or so of fun things that we've planned out for you. Before we get started, we'd like to give you an email address and our website. Hopefully, you'll come and drop us a visit. You can write to us at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com, galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com. Come by our website, check it out, see what new things we have on there, drop us an email, let us know what you think uh, of our show. If you have any comments, questions, by all means, let us know. In addition, we now also have a page on Facebook. If you're a Facebook fan, come by and visit us at the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight Facebook page, and you can come visit us and have a look at some TVs and friend us if you are a fan of Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, to get the proceedings underway today, the name Desilu should be familiar to you. With specifics, here's Ian Rose. I love Lucy, and she loves me. We're as happy as we can be. Sometimes we quarrel and divorce. Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do. Hey, just a side note before I begin my report. Next year, 2011, is the centennial of the birth of Lucille Ball. As the first couple of early television, she got first billing as Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. But in the name of their production company, Desi Lou, he was top billed. Not that anyone seemed to care. If it were Lou Desi or Ball Arnaz, it doesn't flow quite as well as the word Desi Lou. This may be a moot point since she would take over the company. Anyway, Desi Lou is noted for producing TV shows that would be reborn. And how? For example, Desi Lou produced The Untouchables, Mission Impossible, and Star Trek, which have all evolved into movies with sequels and, in the case of Star Trek, spinoffs, TV, and movies, except The Untouchable. There's only been one movie. So, a quick recap, if I may. The Desilu Company was formed in 1950 by combining the names of Desi and Lucille, also named after their ranch in Chatsworth. After their divorce, Lucille Ball ran the company solo in 1962. She became the first woman to run a major studio. In 1967, she sold it to Gulf and Western. However, Desi Lu still exists as a legal entity, mostly as a licensee for I Love Lucy-related merchandise. The research you just heard was straight off the Internet, and it itself came from four sources, The New York Times, Time Magazine, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. However, a book came out in 1993 entitled Desi Lu, The Story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz by Coyne Stephen Sanders and Tom Gilbert, published by Harper Entertainment. It wasn't hard to find. It was in my very own collection. I read this book some time ago and enjoyed it. Two stories are quite memorable. The first was when Walter Winchell outed Lucille Ball as a communist. In her response, in her 1953 testimony, she said that she had registered as a communist in 1936, partly to please her grandfather. Yes, she did it to please him. She didn't intend to vote that way. Now, if her sponsor, Philip Morris, had, as a result, canceled her contract, 
her career as an actress would have ended right there. They didn't, and the House Un-American Activities Committee cleared her. Desi Arnaz uh, said something to the effect publicly that the only thing read about Lucy was her hair, and even that wasn't real. Now, you would have thought the Arnezes would have had it in for Walter Winchell for blowing the whistle, a whistle that didn't have any steam anyway. But later, Winchell would appear as the narrator on TV's The Untouchables. Can you imagine that show without his voice? I can't. And this was the second series Desi Lou had with him following the Walter Winchell file, where Winchell was the host. So why Walter? Apparently, outing is outing, and business is business, particularly since this had a happy ending. I'm not so sure I would have been so generous. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and all the ships at sea, and all you closet commies. Mm. Now the second story. The book also notes that back when the two pending series, Mission Impossible and Star Trek, were each losing... $65,000 per episode. Lucy, as the lone head of Desi Lou by that time, deliberated for a bit and decided we would do them. She said she would do them. Executive Ed Holly said, quote, If it were not for Lucy, there would be no Star Trek today. And the name Spock wouldn't mean a Vulcan, but a baby doctor. I'm Ian Rose. Question, Ian. Lucy and Desi, were they in the middle of the divorce when they did that movie where they went across the country? Was it the long, long trailer? Good question. Were they okay then? Or Very what? good question. That was about 1954. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, funny, you should mention that because I saw that just recently. They got the divorce in 1960. Okay. So I don't know leading up to it where they would have. I know they threatened once. There was a time, I think, way back when in their marriage, and this may have been before the TV show, when there was some kind of a threat of divorce and they didn't go through with it. Well, I've got a copy of that on VHS. I like that's among my collection of movies to watch at least once a year, and I just I, I love the the uh, acting, but the purity of the two of them working off each other. You could never figure out who was the foil. Mm-hmm. You know who was the fall guy, who was the foil, and you know that movie did. I think it started the careers of a lot of character actors. Just the shtick in that movie, they did very well together. I I don't know if there was a better husband and wife movie sense where a husband and wife played a husband and wife in a motion picture but just that whole scene where she's trying to help guide him out of the carport at her aunt's house and he <laughs> takes out the he takes out the gazebo yes. and the whole carport and everyone else when the entire family's standing there watching in in shock yeah you know, i've been there <laughs> I, I, I've been there, but You're talking I just from personal experience. Oh yes. Okay. And then uh, I remember watching that movie too with my brothers back in the seventies, and we always wondered how that little that little convertible, that little Ford, could tow that big trailer around the all, all, mountains. Yeah, I think that was filmed in Angeles Crest. All I know is that that was a neat car, and the trailer was pretty cool too. That classic aluminum trailer, big trailer, that, oh, that yeah, neat well, trailer. That is a neat movie, the long, long trailer, and uh, I'm kind of interested in uh, in that connection between them and, and the Untouchables. No, the thing, the, the point was, as I said, the the Untouchables uh, was taken from the book by Elliot Ness and Oscar Fraley. Oscar Fraley, they 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 together wrote this book, and they'd written it uh, sometime, I think, in the mid '50s, and then soon after that, Ness died. And the whole point of The Untouchables, if I may, when you see the show as entertaining as it is, 
it is well outside of the fact that it's based on Elliot Ness, who was real. The rest of much of the rest of it is all fabrication. For a start, after the Untouchables uh, captured or had sent to Al Capone to prison, they disbanded. Mm-hmm. In the series, he goes after all kinds of criminals. Uh, you know, uh, Legs Diamond and uh, mm-hmm. Vincent Mad Dog Call, and he goes after Mar Barker. And, of course, these were all criminals that were pursued by others. Uh, my understanding was Elliot Ness very rarely ever shot his gun. And in this, in this show every week, you know, I think he was emptying several several times. Wow. So just to give you an idea, it was an entertaining show, largely fiction. And how interesting about Walter Winchell. You would have thought that they would not have wanted to have anything to do with him. It, it's just that I've seen situations like this in Hollywood, not only this one, but in others, where people are in litigation with each other or they can't stand each other, and sometimes they still work together and create some great stuff. Well, even mm-hmm. on the subject of Desi Lu on the I Love Lucy's, I, I did, I, I read a few books on the biographies, and I understand that uh, William Frawley, Fred Mertz, was just horrible. <clears throat> Vivian Vance couldn't stand him. He had, he, he had issues. I, I don't know what the issues were, but it was one of those deals where here's this I Love Lucy, and they got the neighbors, and you'd think the Ricardos and the Mertzes were probably as close off screen as they were on. It was entirely different. Uh, I De- heard that Desi would go one way, Lucy would go the other way, Vivian Vance would go home, and Bill Frawley would go out and, and do a three four day binge. I heard that Vivian Vance did not like William Frawley also because they paired her with him, and yet he seemed to be old enough to be her father. <laughs> Yeah, I wondered about that. <laughs> and she apparently was quite resentful from what I've heard. I, I think I read that somewhere. She was quite resentful that she got paired up with this old man. <laughs> well, and I guess he was a real piece of work, too. Uh, I guess he was, he was all uh, Fred Mertz off screen. Uh, crotchety, very difficult to work with, always snarling. And I guess there were a number of times where... Uh, where uh, Desi Arnaz and William Frawley didn't show up for the set, and they wow. found them in a saloon down in San Diego, back when San Diego was a military town with tattoo parlors and peep shows, and uh, that's where they found the uh, that's where they found the boys, the, the dynamic duo, the guy half of I Love Lucy. And now you know another reason why Ricky and Fred were such good friends. <laughs> well, yeah, let's run down to San Diego and get tattooed it's funny all the san diego connections with this show uh, vivian vance i understand was discovered at uh, La the La Jolla theater right now she had work prior to that it's not like she all of a sudden showed up for this production she'd done other work uh, but i think uh, nothing of uh, great note and she was discovered there and as you mentioned you know san diego and also after uh Desi Arnaz left Desi Lou. He lived in Del Mar. Right. So they'll have all these. Uh, he local... lived in Del Mar, very active in the uh, Del Mar racing, horse racing. Uh, he was friends with uh, Pat O'Brien and I think Bing Crosby. I think so. A yes. lot of it was an investment, but you know, the second fiddle character actors, Vivian Vance and even William Frawley, you know, imagine an I Love Lucy episode without Ethel. Couldn't do it. The formula wouldn't work. No. So my point is, they were just as important, if in some cases not more, than the, than the two stars of these shows. They were integral. Each one was important yes. to the to the, it was to, a formula. To the formula. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somehow they put it all together. And Made it work. And it worked quite well. And it worked. Yeah. Well, Ian, thanks so much for that report on Desilu. We enjoyed hearing that. Yeah, and Ian, you, you mentioned, too, on the guns. Yes. Oh, well, talk, of, to... talk of guns. You know, all, the last few weeks, actually, since, since our last uh, 
our production section, I've been really glued, glued to this E-West on cable TV. It's the old westerns. Have Gun Will Travel, Wanted Dead or Alive, Gunsmoke, one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And I was going to ask you a question about the old westerns, but as usual, you've answered it long before I formulated it to ask. Talk to us today about wardrobe and about hardware. I'll give you some of the hardware side, and then we'll run it up the flagpole for the wardrobe side. It's an interesting thing. The Kitty Westerns, as you'll recall, started off, and always in a Kitty Western, the hero had two guns, right? One on each hip. And the thing about these guns was they were incapable of killing anybody. If the hero shot anybody, they were wounded, and it was never serious. Oh, my. In the case of the Lone Ranger or in the case of Roy Rogers, these people never killed a soul. They did shoot them and wound them. Now, as we got into the adult westerns, things changed a little bit. For example, uh, Wyatt Earp had a gun with a long barrel, the Buntline Special. Oh, let's hold on right there, Ian. (laughs) Sounds interesting. (laughs) Smitty, I think it's about time to cool things down with a retromercial. What do you got? You you want to pause for a retromercial? (laughs) Well, we'll get right back to uh, Bad Masterson and his uh, long barrel Colt. (laughs) Okay, very good. Well, we will pause for a retromercial, and uh, then we'll be back with Ian as he continues his talk about 1950s westerns in just a moment. Hiya, Bunky. You say your son borrowed your electric frying pan and he took it on a camping trip and he fried some eggs in it over an open fire and then brought it home for you to clean and you reach for a steel wool soap pad and it's all rusty and you get a splinter in your finger. Is that what's bugging you, cousin? Well, lift your head up high and face that sink with a smile. It's rescue. To the rescue. Rescue is the totally new heavy-duty soap pad with no metal in it. No splinters because Rescue's hand side is sponge. No rust because the pan side's tough nylon. Rescue cuts grease fast, packed with soap that cleans and shines bright. Rescue outscours, outlasts old-fashioned steel wool soap pads and can't rust or splinter. Pick up Rescue soap pads at your grocer's. Totally new from the 3M company. Oh, that's good advice, neighbor. Welcome back to the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. You know, I was going over the uh, gun collection of uh, heroes of the 1950s on westerns, and they had some of the strangest collections of weapons I've ever seen. We had uh, Wired Up with a long gun. You had Paladin with a short one with a Derringer and a regular gun. You had Jim Bowie had the knife. Uh, Bat Masterson had a gun and a cane. Okay, it's not that he was infirm, he just liked to carry it because it made him look uh, more handsome, I guess. The Rifleman had a rifle, Shotgun Slade had a shotgun, Josh Randall carried a sawed-off carbine. If he wanted a shotgun, why didn't he use a forty-five? But of all of the guns, long barrel, short barrel, rifle, knife, the oddest of these weapons was this one. It was made especially for Johnny Ringo. Now, a regular forty-five caliber handgun had a hole drilled in the middle of the cylinder for a shotgun shell. So in the first episode, uh, Ringo was uh, blew away two bad guys just with a shotgun blast. Can you believe that? Now, among all these, I seem to remember a Western hero who didn't have a gun at all. Does anybody remember this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, a PC before its time. Evidently, it must didn't last long. Did not have a gun? Yeah, that was what made him. He went around... 
you know, talking people to death. Well, that wouldn't have been Yancey Derringer's cohort because he didn't talk. That's, no, but he, that yeah. sounds almost like a formula that wouldn't work. I think that's why nobody remembers it okay. because it was right that here. Restless Gun. No, because Restless Gun had a gun. Oh, okay. how about Man Without a Gun? Man Without a Gun. I like that. Let's okay. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was a very short-lived series. He only lasted twelve minutes. He yeah. was shot down. Yeah, because he didn't have a gun. By with an him. armed villain. Anyway, that's the story of the... But, of course, there were connections with the attire, like Bat Masterson had a cane, and uh, other people had different kinds of clothing. I think it was in the cane. Wyatt Earp had that fancy vest, remember? But Yancey Derringer did have a special... Did he have an over-under Derringer? Uh, he had a trick something. I'm trying to figure out what it is, Ian. I was thinking Yancey Derringer obviously had a Derringer... It was a jewel-encrusted, very fancy. We'll have to look that up. Yeah, and did he have more than one Derringer? I always seem to think he, oh, he had several. A, did he? Yeah, he had a, he had a couple Derringers. He had one in the de- one in the vest, and I think he had another one stashed somewhere. But he could do more with a two-shot Derringer than a lot than most guys at the time in these series with machine with Gatling guns. Yes, meaning he could, he could do a lot of damage. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I remember his buddy was Pahu. Pahu, yes. Yeah. And now, now today, back then we called him an Indian. What do we call him today? Native American? Uh, hmm. A Native American. A Native American. I think that's probably the okay. correct, the politically correct term. And yes. the guy's name who played him was X Brands. X Brands. Okay, that's right. That's absolutely right. Okay. That's where the brand X went, I guess. Interesting. Okay. Well, Ian, thank you so much for that. That okay. was interesting. Tri- trivia coming out of every which way. Well, that's good. Keep it coming because we have a lot more stuff to talk to you about in future shows. Oh. Well, a few shows ago, we were talking about a bit of hilarious, <laughs> to, well, to us it was hilarious, uh, talk about mail order, th- ordering things through mail order when you were a kid. And I know Mike was talking to us about such interesting things as the chameleon that arrived deceased, the x-ray glasses, and the shrimp amoeba that hatched in a Petri dish. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, uh, Mike. We were on a roll with that. We thought we'd come back to it for a few minutes and talk a little bit more about that. Well, thank you. And I went to my Western file after Ian shared uh, his, his great story on the arms of the Old West TV shows. And it just came to mind that I'm still waiting for my Mattel Fanner 50. Uh, it's been 43 years now. And I think the greeny stickum caps my mom bought me to go with those have probably expired on the usable date. But uh, there were so many things that we tried to buy. I I had a paper route. I think I had two paper routes. And then half my brother's paper route, we pooled our resources and we ordered a Fanner 50 from the back of a comic book. I don't know if you remember the Classics Illustrated, Ian. They would they were comic books, but they had his, historic themes. Those were the they, those had the best mail order. Unfortunately, maybe 20% of the orders actually got through. And I learned later, several years later, I was doing a, a paper in college about the early days of mail order for a marketing class. And most of those mail order deals came from none other than the Johnson Smith catalog. You're familiar with that, the famous novelty catalog. Been around since, I think, 1901. But I was thinking, get, uh, preparing for the show, I was thinking of all the things I ordered. And I, did get, I, I didn't get ripped off on all of them. Uh, I felt ripped off on a lot of the stuff that I did get, but I actually took delivery on a lot of them, and I remember the miniature spy camera. Remember that, Smitty? 
postage stamp size film. It was right. a little miniature 35 millimeter yes. camera. Yes. What was that all about? Uh, that was a camera. It was a fixed. It was very cheaply made. It was tin and maybe a couple of pieces of plastic. And it would take postage stamp size photos. And my brother and I were going to go into the newspaper photo business using this camera. And I think they were, I think it was a $1.99. Uh, we got the film, but never the camera. Yeah. And that that was that was one of the nicest things that we ordered and we got the pin that would shock somebody when they opened it <laughs> and uh, the problem with the pin that would shock people when you opened it is that you couldn't get the pin open and my mom found that pin and she managed to open it she was writing a check to the UPS delivery man one day oh. and i remember the scream and I remember the scream of the UPS delivery man upon uh, being shocked by this pen. And then I remember the three weeks of um, doing yard work and being grounded on Saturdays. So a lot of the negative memories fit in with a lot of the positive memories. Uh, I remember, too, that Johnson Smith was the coolest catalog for buying gag gifts. What was your favorite gag gift, Ian? Well, uh, actually... <laughs> <laughs> oh, they this had is going to be a gag. Do I have to say this on? Well, I, I I never bought it, but I always marveled at it. Was you know when somebody has problem keeping their food down, uh-huh. and they oh they regurgitate they, yes, and then actually they sold that. They did. They sold the fake uh, the fake vomit. Which yeah, which you're yeah. supposed to do is lay and then sprinkle water on it. I know this is getting too graphic for our audience. Oh, well, I don't know. How, how gross. By some of the emails, I, maybe it's a little too thin. <laughs> and then that, of course, reminds me of the fake dog poop. Oh, here we go. And we, oh. Ladies and gentlemen, we're reaching new lows on our show. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, oh. It's time to flush and do over. Like yeah. Yuck. Well, here's something that I remember. I remember one time ordering the little, which was kind of dumb, but I ordered it anyway, the little the little lapel flower with the little bulb of water that oh, you squeezed and best. have it squirt water into your oh, friend's oh, face. The favorite. Yes. How about the squirting nickel? The squ- Did you get a squirting nickel? I got a squirting nickel, and I self-inflicted most of the damage. I never could get the hang of it. Is it the top of Washington's head that squirt the guy or the bottom? Heads or tails? I walked away. Well, there's the problem. Yeah. Washington is not on the nickel. Ah! <laughs> well, you know what? Very good, sir. <laughs> Give that boy a tootsie roll. Strong letter to Johnson Smith. I want my money back. <laughs> Did that stuff come with a money back guarantee, Mike? Uh, yeah, no money back, no guarantee, and uh, that's why we call it a gag catalog. That's a gag if you think we're giving you your money back. <laughs> Did you get the FM microphone transmitter? No, but I always wanted one of those. Those were great. Those actually worked. Did they? I got one, and they were great, and I took it to school, and I remember taping it under the desk of the boy's vice principal. And shortly thereafter, the FBI came in. No, not really. Uh, My dad came in, (laughs) and uh, that was 10 years before Watergate, and uh, I invented Watergate. You were doing the bugging before the Watergate. I was doing the bugging. And you didn't have Rosemary Woods there to to shut everything down for 18 minutes. No, I didn't, but I had Mr. Stanley Green's SWAT paddle, as I recall. Mm. Oh, boy. Uh, How about the pocket transistor radio? Oh, those little dinky things. Those were great. Did they work? first transistor? Mail order. It worked. It was Lloyd's. It was made by a company called Lloyd's. Yeah, I remember Lloyd's. They are the first importers. It was a little eight... Eight transistor radio. I remember the emblem said eight. Mm-hmm. On the front, you got a leather carrying case, a nine volt battery, and an earphone. Wow. Mm-hmm. That was 
That put you to sleep at night. That's how I went to sleep listening to old radio oh, at night. Neat. Yeah. yeah, great memories, good stuff, and uh, still waiting for my Fanner Fifty. Ian, you got any greeny stickum caps? No, I don't. I did get my Fanner Fifty. You did? Yeah, but I bought mine in the store. Oh, see. Oh. Yeah. So. Ian, oh, you've always been known as the smart consumer. Now I know why. Well, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Is Johnson Smith still around? Johnson you know? Smith is very much they still are. around. Okay. Um, very good. The gags, I I don't know how they stand business because very little's done mail order by paper anymore. You can order just about anything you can that you were ordering for years and years in the Johnson Smith catalog. You can order it anywhere on the internet. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, medical dictionary or the books. Remember the the fortune teller drawing. Mm-hmm. The book, the complete book on mind reading. Well, that's still available, believe it or not. And uh, with the other 20,000 books available at Borders now on how to be a better person or read minds, the telescopes, most of the Johnson Smith stuff is available. The, the comic book companies had to be in a percentage deal with these mail order companies. Uh, Daisy, I ordered a BB rifle. You could order a BB rifle. I don't know if you can now, but the back of certain comic books had a full-page spread on get a Daisy BB rifle. Uh, call for catalog or send postage stamp. Send one postage stamp for our complete catalog. Right. I think getting the catalog was just as exciting oh, as yeah. getting the BB gun. Looking at all the stuff, even though you didn't. I know when I was a kid, I didn't have a whole lot of money. I had to beg, beg mom for a few dollars to order something, but... It was fun to look at everything in the catalog and going, wow, well, if I had this, I could do that, or I could impress my friends with the the squirting flower. We see you've hit on it right there, Mm -hmm. my boy. You know what that is? Mm -hmm. What's that? That is anticipation. Thank you, Ian. That's exactly what it was. more satisfying than the reality. That was the motivation for purchase. It just having a catalog. I, I used to love to build model airplanes, and there were certain brands that I liked. Others, monogram was the best. Mm-hmm. I liked warplanes. Monogram, Ravel was eh, eh, eh. But it was always, like you say, it was a result of the quality of their catalogs. And oftentimes, the times that I did order things, it did seem that the item was neater in the catalog. You were anticipating it. It would arrive at your house, and you'd kind of unpack it and go, okay, well, is that all there is to it? So <laughs> a, little bit, uh, a little bit more. The anticipation was a lot more fun. Yeah, the anticipation, the waiting, and the, the ideas of what you're going to do with the thing when you finally got it. And like you say, you're just for the most part, totally underwhelmed in your mailbox. Exactly. Well, Ian, thanks for talking to us about that. And Mike, thanks for sharing your memories on that. Uh, A few more memories about, and if you out there have any memories of ordering any of this, any of these fun items from any of these catalogs or from the back of a comic book, why don't you drop us a note and let us know, share your thoughts with us. You can write to us at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com visit our website at galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com and remember that's spelled n-i-g-h-t-s-i-t-e also we're on facebook now we have a facebook page so come visit the galaxy moonbeam nightsight page on facebook if you're a facebook fan drop by and friend us look at our pictures we'll have more pictures on there as well and uh, it'll be uh, nice to see you on facebook I think that's about all the time we have on our show. We've had a fun show. We are so glad that you dropped by and visited with us, and we look forward to having you with us again next time. So until then, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. We'll talk to you later next time, folks. Take care.